This is episode 222 with one of the top performance experts in the world, a man who's worked in Olympic programs in three countries and holds master's degrees in sports science, sports medicine, and business administration, Mr. David Joyce. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to is a conversation on reducing your risk of running injuries with one of the world's foremost experts. David Joyce has worked in Olympic programs in the UK, China, and Australia over two decades. He's trained and rehabilitated multiple world-class athletes and led successful teams in soccer, football, and rugby. Today, we discuss how to keep runners healthy, going over the biggest risk factors for injury, how to mitigate them, and strategies for building more resilient runners. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Here, you can expect conversations just like this between me and other thought leaders in the running industry. My goal is to elevate your thinking about the sport, help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, and of course, our home base, strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. This episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. They help you analyze your body's biomarker data to give you a clear picture of what's going on inside you, and then offer science-backed recommendations to improve any metrics that are outside of your unique optimal zones. For a limited time, you also can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store at insidetracker.com/strengthrunning. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, a health and wellness company that makes AG1, a category-leading greens mix that has 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to get a free year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. You can sign up for a one-time shipment or a convenient recurring delivery at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. Our guest today is David Joyce, the founder and managing director of Synapsing, a global sports strategy and performance consultancy. He's the co-editor of High Performance Training for Sports, the authoritative guide for ultimate athletic conditioning, the second edition, which is now available everywhere. David holds master's degrees in both sports science and sports medicine, as well as an MBA, and has over 50 publications in the field of sports performance. In this episode, David and I are going to talk more about how to cut your injury risk. We discuss how technology is changing athletes and coaches, risk factors for running injuries, how to address those risk factors, evaluations to determine your unique limitations, and how to build more movement solutions in your library of physical skills. By the way, if you want my best advice on how to build injury resilience directly into your training, go to strengthrunning.com prevention. I'll share more details on how to become more durable and make your training prioritize injury prevention from the very beginning. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. David Joyce. 
David, welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. Thanks for having me back, Jason. Well, I had you on last year to talk about a better way to rehabilitate injuries with a focus on an athlete's readiness to return to a normal workload. And, you know, David, I did a little research before we sat down today, and our last conversation is the sixth most popular episode I've ever published out of 220 episodes, which I think is just a great testament to the message that you brought and your expertise. So I'm really looking forward to today. Yeah, let's let's crack that top five. <laughs> well, today... <laughs> We're going to go in the other direction. We're going to talk more about the prevention of injuries. I think it's far more fun to stay healthy and worry about your running rather than on rehabilitating some injury. But first, I did want to talk about something a little bit different that uh, you talk about in the introduction to the new edition of your book, High Performance Training for Sports. I've got this absolute huge book next to me. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I'd love to start with what's new in the field of athletics and how that might be affecting athletes. And specifically, um, you speak of technology as a big disruptor. So I'm curious how technology is impacting the average runner right now and how might it 10 years from now? Yeah, well, I mean, technology is the thing which is enabling and disrupting all facets of life, right, Jace? So uh, it's no surprise that we're seeing this in in sport as well. I think there are, it falls into a couple of different areas in in my view how technology is going to to change what we do. Primarily, it what what we've seen through the pandemic is that it is it, connections via the internet are much more enabled and and more importantly, much more accepted. So I can see that our support teams, our coaching is all going to be disaggregated and and potentially remote. Not all coaching, um, but it will remote coaching will be enabled. So that's the first thing. That's the sort of the platform upon which we live and um and train now. I guess the next thing too is and in, in similar lines, we will now have access to greater coaching, greater support from all over the world. And that's really important as well because we, we will have the, the best and brightest minds will be at our fingertips, whether that is just through the, the knowledge that is there or through some, some remote coaching, you know, at an individual level. But further to that, I think we're going to see a much greater increase in the role of AI. And I know of a number of different startups that are, that are looking to do this, like AI, AI coaching. Um, there's a, there's a great one called Athletica, um, which is run by a good friend of mine, Paul uh, Larson, who out of Canada. And he is one of the world's great endurance running coaches. Um, triathlon, cycling, and and running, and so he's being able to. He's got a uh, an app which scales coaching, um, and that is not to uh, that's not to put coaches out of business, but it is actually to enable coaches, you know, to to get access to to one of the great minds in in the world of endurance running. Um, so there's that. I think the the next thing too is obviously athlete tracking. So not only not just where where we're at with Strava, but really having deep dives into where an athlete is in the the training dose response 
continuum where they are in fatigue uh, levels and and being able to get some bespoke coaching and bespoke training advice and bespoke recovery um, on the basis of how the biomarkers are within that individual. Like that's that's never before been seen and we will get much, much, much greater insights into the individual response. And then finally, I think the the aspect of mental uh, coaching and mental skills performance is going to really take off. I'm involved with a startup um, at the moment where we're looking to democratise that. Um, so not just looking at the sleep and mindfulness side of things, which is great and, and calm and headspace, et cetera, do a really good job there, but, but actually looking to exploit the mental skills and the mental performance side of things, which, um, you know, we've, we've only previously been relied, been able to rely on a model, which was face to face, but now we're going to be able to, to scale that to, to anyone, whether they're in, you know, rural or Idaho or in, um, Kampala. So wh- whatever it is, we'll be able to get that sort of that that information, that knowledge, that wisdom to people when they need it, where they need it. I think I'm particularly interested in the marriage of the internal biomarker tracking and then your actual training, you know, what you're doing on a daily basis, what your coach is prescribing you. Because right now, you know, you can hire an online coach and there's a lot of technologies that enable that. Or you can go and get a custom blood test done and find out all kinds of things about what's going on inside your body. But also, often those two have trouble speaking to each other. Could you talk a little bit more about how those two, uh, the, the blood tracking, understanding what's going on in your body, and then your coach and the workouts you're running and your volume and, and everything that goes into your training. Can you talk a little bit about how those might interface with each other in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, we've got, um, you know, genetic testing and things like that, which can give us an idea of our, our makeup and our collagen and things like that. Um, it's a bit of a stretch at the moment to talk about injury risk with, with our, um, with the technology that we have at the moment, um, because there are just so many things that go into injury risk. So, but what it will be able to give us is a is a typing like this is the type of collagen that you have and in general these sorts of people take a little bit longer to recover or um, put on mass more quickly or, or whatever it is. So what we'll be able to do is cut our experimentation time down and I think that's the really important bit is that we're currently we could run a million different experiments and we've got to take time to to find an area. Whereas what we're doing now with technologies being able to say right by on the basis of probability you are going to fall into this bucket so let's let's dive into this bit about mass accretion first and then we can start to experiment from there so we're going to cut down our our iteration time um, and th- and that's really important that's really really critical but what we'll also be able to do is have some real-time markers of how someone is responding to training how someone is um developing their their resilience how someone is um uh responding with an infl- with in, with their inflammatory markers those sorts of things that's really important so we'll be able to just go on some on some objective markers rather than just how do you feel now the the interesting thing is how do you feel is still going to be a really important 
um, question. And this is why we will never replace coaches, and nor should we, because there's that. What I'm I'm doing some work in the moment in this space, and what's really really evident is that there is there are huge opportunities for technology. But with that comes the huge opportunity for the coach as well to be able to act almost like the conductor because this technology will not make decisions by itself. Well, in, in the elite setting, won't it make decisions by itself. What it will do will be to enhance the decision-making capabilities of the coach. So I see them working hand in hand to overall get better pictures of how an individual is at this particular time and at what rate they're changing, upon which we can make better training decisions. I am really turned on by the potential of that and how it could change how athletes approach their training and how effective they are at, at executing that training and adapting to it and, and ultimately becoming better athletes. I think it's really exciting. I can't wait and you've mentioned injuries a couple times. And so I'd love to transition to our main conversation, which is going to be about injury prevention and keeping runners healthy. Uh, and, and maybe we should start very big picture. I'm going to ask you a loaded question, David. When you kind of look back on all of your experiences, your education, all the practical day to day work that you do with high performance athletes, if you had to list some of the biggest injury risk factors for endurance runners, what might those be? I probably no surprise to you or your audience because I imagine that many of you have suffered them. So you know, <laughs> it starts off it it starts off with the um, the soft tissue injuries. So they might be and and certainly endurance runners. If you've got any speed about you, you'll you'll um, likely have suffered a bit of a, a hamstring strain. As we get older, we get the uh, what I call the OMIs, which are the old man injuries and old woman injuries, which tend to be your calf and more particularly your soleus. Um, and then, of course, there's the um, the Achilles tendon and patellar tendinopathies, and they're um, you know particularly particularly. Uh, Achilles tendon and you know extending that out to plantar fascia as well plantar fasciopathy they're they're the things they're the bane of endurance runners particularly once you get to that sort of 35 to 40 year old mark uh, depending on how many miles you've got on the clock um so that that's uh, at a broad brush stroke they're they're your uh yeah they're your soft tissues but then we can move into the the hard tissues or the, the bones as well and um, you know that's where we're we're at risk of fifth metatarsal stress fractures, where we're at risk of um, navicular stress fractures if we get our training doses wrong, um, some shin stress fractures, and, and and you know getting more serious the um, the femoral stress fractures as well. So um, then there, there's a whole heap of other little things that you can get, or they may be big things, but they're 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 lower risk or sort of certainly lower lower frequency. Um, but I would say that as a broad brushstroke, Jace, they're they're the things that that tend to keep runners out more than more than other things. Of course, if you're a trail runner, you're at an increased risk of of ankle sprains and things like that. Um, so it really does depend on your on your um, overall sport. But then, so that's that's what I call the generic risk or generic warning index, and then we can filter down into specific warning index. And I, I've developed this sort of sh um, way of thinking about it, Jace, because I spent some time 
this was a long time ago now, but I was I was looking at, at risk profiling and I thought, geez, who does risk profiling the most? And my answer in my own head was, uh, oh, people who work on the border. And I was living in London at the time, and so that's UK border agency. You know, how do they how do they let a million people into the UK every day without having to do a cavity search on every single one of them? Um, and and you know, the odd one gets through that you don't want to, but by and large, they do a really good job. So they they screen on the basis of risk. So they've got this generic warning index, which is what I've just talked about in terms of running. You know, the, what are the things that we commonly see in, in our um, in our sport and what are the co- things that we commonly see per age group? And then we get down to a specific warning index. And the specific warning index uh, primarily based on the individual characteristics, which, you know, getting back, linking our previous conversation, we'll be able to have that a, a bit more with our with our increasing technology and and, and data insights and, and physiology insights and the like. But also it gets down to your, your previous injury history, which we know is the most um, potent predictor of a of an injury. So if you've if you've had a couple of ankle injuries in the past, you're more likely to have ankle injuries in the future. So once we can understand the the sport itself, which we've given that 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 ten thousand foot view, then we can get onto the dance floor and look at what are the the risk factors that the individual has in themselves. That's the way I think about it. I've never heard of the concept of old man injuries, and I just celebrated my 38th birthday, so I think I'm going to be taking a good care of my lower legs at this point now, David. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, well, welcome to the bullpen. <laughs> um, now, of course, there's probably a large amount of variability among individuals, just like you've said. Sort of this last stop is talking more about, you know, what are your individual risk factors? Is there an effective way of evaluating one's own personal injury risk factors. So, you know, how, how do we better understand our own personal weak links? Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of touched on the, the previous answer to it, to a point, Jay. So you go, well, what are the, what are the things that I'm most likely to get? Because if we think about it, there are an almost infinite number of injuries that we could get. And it's, it's beyond the realms of, possibility certainly at the moment to go right well let's test for every single one of these these injuries and what are our risk factors for that particular thing because you'll be looking at like you you, you've got three joints in your little finger so do you and you know several degrees of freedom so there's there's 15 tests just for your little finger and you know you times that by 10 so there's 150 tests for for all your um your fingers there's 300 tests for fingers and toes you know it's beginning it's getting bigger than bigger than the um bigger than Ben-Hur. So what you need to do is you need to cut that down. What are the things that I'm, I'm most likely to get? So they're the things which you most likely get in your sport, which we've just talked about for running. Then you go, what are the most likely things for me based on my age and my um, um, my previous injury history? So then we've, got from, we've gone from infinite number of injuries to probably somewhere in the region of 10 right then you can start to do some testing on those things themselves now when we look at um, injury risk factors we can see there is um, there's a lot to do with our biomechanics so our ergonomics you know how we strike the ground you know do we do we lean forward when we're running are we a, a toe striker those sorts of things the next thing is um, your nutrition. 
that is super important. Like, are you getting the requisite number of of um, nutrients into you, which is particularly a, a really important thing for for female athletes as well as we're seeing. But it's also an issue for for men. Um, so that's a really, really, really important thing, and I can't stress that enough. Um, so that's that's looking at injury risk from a, a macro level. You know, then then we start to look at our our muscle strength, which is super important, and uh, as well. Um, and then finally, and and I won't say most importantly, but it's certainly the thing which is probably easiest to adapt is what's our training program like. You know, do we have the appropriate mileage built up? Do we have we spiked our our acute loads um, in an inordinate fashion? Are we getting the appropriate rest for our various tissues? So, so. For example, if we're if someone's getting some Achilles tendon problems or has come off a long period of of rest, you can't just go into repeated plyometrics. Even if your app tells you that's what the most important thing for you to do is from a um, from a, a ballistic training perspective or a speed perspective, you you can't do that because we know that the tenocytes, which are the the tendon cells take a couple of days to recoup after each training session. So it tells us about the rhythm in which we need to, to build up. So there, um, there's no one, you know, golden answer to, to what is a really important question at the moment, Jason. I'm really sorry that I can't give you that. But what I've tried to do is give you a couple of different decision-making gates to go right. Well, these things are more important to me. Then I can go down and and have a look into that a bit more in a bit more detail. I think this is a really helpful framework. You've essentially given us four different areas to evaluate when it comes to our personal risk for a repetitive stress injury or some other type of running injury we could get: movement, nutrition, strength, and then the actual training that you're doing. Could we maybe go through each one? And if, if an athlete was curious, if you know, do I have a limitation in my movement or my strength? How would they start answering those kinds of questions, uh, especially if, you know, they don't have access to a laboratory where they can do these kinds of, you know, really fun tests that would give them all this kinds of information. If they're just at home and, you know, they're curious if they could do any at-home tests or uh, other frameworks for better understanding their personal risk factors. Yeah, uh, I guess that's the holy grail, isn't it? And what <laughs> a bit a bit will depend on where they're starting from and what their aspirations are. So if um, uh, if I've got an uh, elite Olympic standard runner, um, you know, I, I will use force plates and these sorts of things. But if I didn't have all those sorts of things, I would be really wanting to know: can they do? Once they've got the master technique, can they do fifty double unders in twenty seconds? So double under with skipping. You know, can they can they loop the rope the rope through twice, um, fifty times in twenty seconds? So there's clearly a skill component there. But actually, what we're looking for is reactivity and power, um, and it, with with your your foot ankle complex, which is what you need for running. Um, I would be looking given that. Um, we know that calf injuries are such a big thing with runners. I would be wanting to see that a runner can do uh, 30 heel raises, so from below a step, 
So do it over a step. So the heel is going below the step up to a full plantar flex position and down in a one-to-one. So one second up, one second down. I want to see they can do 30 of those per leg. Um, now that when, when you start doing that, so that's, that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. Like you start to, you start to get a, um, you get the burning in your calf and those sorts of things, but it gives a bit of a platform. Now, the caveat with this, Jace, is the fact that that doesn't go close. As hard as that is for some and possibly most people, that doesn't go close to the speed of contraction and the force produced when you're running. It doesn't go close. It's 10%. So the best, the best, um, actual way of demonstrating whether you've got the strength and the force velocity capacity to run is to run and then to go right well how am I feeling after that was I able to was I able to achieve the task and so the great thing about that is it's a field test like we're we're runners we and the great thing to go is well to diagnose that is to actually run and see how you go and it and it, it seems a little bit airy fairy but it is actually the most valid way of testing our our strength and force velocity profiles if you don't have any technical equipment um i think other things that i really like people to be able to do is a be able to get off a a fairly low seat um with one leg so holding one leg stable, so grabbing a knee to chest type thing and being able to do that and then lower themselves down, up and down. I, people, should be able, people should be able to do that 10 to 15 times. That shouldn't be too hard. And what we're trying to do is get a bit of a baseline of what our strength and, and um, profile is like. You know, is it, a, is it an entry level? I really, really like people to be able to lunge with a weight overhead and that weight doesn't have to be too heavy. And, of course, it depends on your size, your age, your gender, all these sorts of things to a certain extent, not exclusively, but to a certain extent. But you should be able to to lunge and do walking lunges with a 90-90 degree, so um, ankle, knee, hips at 90 degrees, so getting that quality of the movement. You should be able to do 10 of those forward and, importantly, 10 of those backwards. So that's a skill. Now, do we run backwards? Not not often, but it actually tells us about the capabilities that we can um, uh, that we've got organised in our brain, our movement efficiency. And then I talked a little bit earlier about the the fifty double unders, but being able to skip if I if I didn't have any equipment and I was a runner, I and I was down to my last ten dollars, I would buy a skipping rope. It is the cheapest, most effective way of training. Um, force velocity and in, improving that. Um, it doesn't lie. You can't cheat it. There's a skill component involved. And as you get better, what you're doing is that you're developing your reactivity and you're developing the capacity of your calf to hold an isometric contraction and your Achilles tendon to do the, to do the work. That's super important, Jason. And, um, you know, I know I'm preaching to the converted here, but you know, if we look at the fastest animals in the world, so if we look at cheetahs, horses, greyhounds, do they have big calves? No. Usain Bolt, does he have big calves? No, you can barely see his calves from side on. 
what they've got are really long, rapid, rapidly recoiling Achilles tendons. The calf holds the Achilles tendon stable, and it's the Achilles tendon which enables us to, to develop the force at the velocity that we require. The best way to train that outside of running is skipping. So that's the, they're the sort of broad brush strokes, um, you know, layman's toolkit, you know, n- non, non Olympic runners toolkit that I always advise people to have. I think that's super helpful. It's so practical. And, and I think a lot of our listeners will find that really helpful as they kind of evaluate where they are at currently. Can you speak a little bit more to the training piece of it? You mentioned the rhythm of training and, that is something that, you know, me, I come kind of am looking back on my running career. I was always fascinated by the rhythm of training before I became a coach, before I really started reading amazing books like high performance training for sports. I was just so interested in the rhythm. And I think that was my introduction to periodization. It was my introduction into, you know, why you do certain workouts in certain orders can you speak a little bit more to that rhythm and, and how it can be really helpful at helping runners stay healthy? Uh, well, the, the funny thing is that health and performance are all on the same continuum, and I think performance is an aspect of health. And so we can almost kill a couple of birds with one stone here because the way our society has built or our community has built is that we've tended to disaggregate health and performance. We think health, you know, when we say health, we in our heads, we're thinking about the absence of ill health and performance is, is actually, you know, being the best you can be. But they're all on the same continuum. And the continuum is called health. Now, um, I guess the, the important things and some really important lessons that I had was if you want to be the best you can be and you want to uh, do your best to avoid or reduce your risk of injury. I hate the term injury prevention. So if we want to re- reduce the risk of injury, um, I think they're having this rhythm of hard and easy training sessions is really important. And the balance of this is you can only do so many hard training sessions in your career. So you've got to make them count. Um, I ran, so this was 2012, 2012 Olympics. I was lucky enough to do a, a recovery training session with the Kenyans, um, uh, middle distance runners. Now, commonly thought of as being the most dominant force in, in world athletics, the Kenyans and, you know, the, the Eastern Africans in this regard. I was amazed at how slow their recovery run was. To the point, and I've heard you talk about this on your on your podcast as well. The importance of of low um, low effort days. It was so slow; it became high effort for me <laughs> because you know you know you're trying to trying to ride a bike slowly, and it's actually hard. Like they were unbelievably slow. Um, it was they were doing sort of five and a half minute kilometers, and like my natural. If I'm if I'm to go for a run and don't have a watch and all those sorts of things, I run at around about four and a half minute kilometers. So I'm not sure what that is in your currency, but it's 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 um, uh, that's in the dangerous middle zone, right? The Kenyans understand that when they go and when they train hard, they pin their ears back and they're going high two minutes. 
Um, but when they go slow, they go really slow. Whereas idiots like me, we, we go in this gray middle band. So the, the rhythm that they have is that they go really slow, but when they pin their ears back, they put full quality and full effort into those sessions. And that's why they're good. And that's why they've actually got a, a reasonable injury profile as well, because those slow sessions are, you know, getting rid of the cobwebs, but also not overly taxing the system. And, and by the system, I'm talking about the entire organism. I'm talking about, you know, their, their expenditure of fuel, their, their, their load going through their, their intertarsal joints in their foot, you know, the load that's going through their hamstrings, patella tendon, the whole organism. Um, so that's really, really important. Um, and, and, but when you do do a high quality session, you do a really, really high quality session. You you put you know eighty to ninety percent of your your effort in, and as you know, and I've heard you talk about this at, at length, is if you're going to run a marathon, you don't run a marathon in training necessarily. You know, you, you build up. Um, and you know, when I do mine, the the longest run I'll do is a thirty-two to thirty-four kilometer um, out of forty-two. So I think it's being smart in that. Um, in that domain and I, I know your your listener profile is likely to be people that are novices also people that are you know really high end so that won't necessarily be surprising to people at high end but it may really be surprising for for novices like it's one of the most common question i get asked is oh well i've got to do a marathon how many marathons do i need to run before i in training before i do a marathon um and the answer is exactly zero you know so um, I, I think that stuff is really important um, uh, when you're considering the, the rhythm of it. And it also depends on your goals as well. So if you're an elite uh, marathon runner, you might be doing 80 to eighty to 100 kilometre weeks. So the rhythm of that is going to be different to someone who wants to do their first marathon and they may only have time for three runs a week. You know, it's hard to do a marathon with less than that. Hard to do it effectively anyway. Um so the rhythm of those are going to be different. So a bit of it depends on your, your needs and your aspirations and the time as well because if you want to run a really, really good marathon, you need there's a lot of time that goes into it. So um, that's, a, again, broad brush strokes, but that's, that's my answer to that one. I think the whole issue of slow, easy recovery runs is really interesting. And I, I'd love for you to talk about, number one, what you actually get out of a run that is – like you said, almost painfully slow where you are just out there, you're, you're putting one foot in front of the other, but it's very, very much, much slower than what you could possibly do on that day, even for a relatively easy run. And then could you speak to not only what you benefit from running really slow, how do you get novice or beginner runners who, who might not be able to do that because, you know, every run is a little bit of a challenge. They're just getting started. Is, do they just kind of have to persevere and get to a certain fitness level so that they have more range in their pacing so that they can have that really, really slow recovery run? How do you kind of think about both of those issues? Yeah, um, terrific, terrific question. So the, the first one, um, what's the value of a slow run? I conceptualize it in a number of different layers here, Jace. So I think, and in not putting this in order of importance at all, but biomechanically, I think it really helps to ensure that the rust doesn't settle. 
So you, you, particularly after a, a really hard session, um, having an active recovery and getting things moving so you don't, you don't seize up is really important. And even, you know, people in their mid twenties find value in that. Um, so that biomechanically, that's good. I think it, it does provide an avenue for coaching as well. You know, a bit of when, when you're running slowly, you can put a little bit more thought into you know various aspects of your your biomechanics knowing that that won't necessarily transfer into to a high speed run but if you're a if you're a bad slow runner um you can do some technique changes so there's that physiologically it is really helpful as well so um we we do get some aerobic capacity gains by by doing those slow runs. You know, we're we're just building up our mitochondrial density. Um, so there's that. I think there's a really important thing for for headspace as well. Like mental clarity is we know improves substantially when you're just outside. You you're breathing in the fresh air. You you're getting a change of scenery. You. You're able to let your mind wander. You're not looking at a screen, and that should not be underestimated. And it sounds a little bit new age and, and um, you know, a, a bit, you know, Southern California type thing, but it is really, really important to do. Um, and I know that myself. Like I'm a better version of myself once I've gone out for a run. So I, I, I look at it from a number of different aspects there. And I guess the other thing too is even if it's, even if it's not particularly hard, it is just adding to your chronic loading as well. So it's building up your overall body resistance and your your body resilience and, and ability to tolerate those chronic loads, which is really important, particularly if you've got aspirations of getting to a, a 40 or 50 onwards um, kilometre week. You know, it's a way of just sort of Hiding some vegetables in the um, in the bolognese sauce, so to speak, you're just accreting these this mileage over time without without necessarily adding too greatly to um, to injury risk. And then the second second question was, how do you do it? Or what's the importance of doing it for people that haven't um, you know necessarily got a high training base? So there's a couple of things that spring to mind. If you're if you don't feel that you get the the value out of it because you do want to feel like you've earned your your post workout meal or whatever. And I get that; like that's one of the reasons why I struggle with it because I want to feel like I've done something. Um, the 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 good thing to do is to try and pick someone who is not as fast a runner with you, and you have to stay with them, and it's and you view it as a social thing rather than a training thing. So that's uh, that's the way I do it. Um, and what you can do is try and get your training fix in another way. Your training fix you might get by, you know, smashing out a hundred, hundred push-ups and a hundred sit-ups or, or something like that, which is, you know, killing two birds with one stone. You, you, you're building up your, your strength a little bit as well, but you feel like you've earned your, your banana post run or whatever it is. Um, and then I guess the other part of your question was why, um, how do they go about doing it? And I think there is an element of when you're just starting out, the most important thing, the most important thing is consistency. So rather than thinking about it as being, um, you know, a physiology or a biomechanics out, outcome that you're after, what you're trying to do 
is develop the identity of I am a runner. If you think of someone that is trying to do this for the first time and is not particularly active or, or, you know, not, not a runner, they don't identify as being a runner. When you don't identify as being a runner, that's the, that you're reliant on willpower and motivation. And that is a really fickle mistress. The best way to get around that is by having an identity as a runner. And that means consistency every day or every day that, um, you know, you've got to do it five days a week or, or, or something, you know, every second day. Having this identity of just getting out, that by far is the biggest training stimulus. The most important um, performance device is consistency. So do that. Don't be worried about how fast you're going. Set your goals fairly low but achievable, and then you build up from there. Once you've got that training base, once you start to identify as a runner, then we can start to get a little bit more sophisticated with having on days and recovery days and the like. But if you're just starting out, get your get your platform of consistency. There's n- there's no bigger performance enhancing tool than that. I've long said that consistency is the secret sauce to successful running if there is one, because you're never going to be able to do anything if you're not consistent with it first. And it seems like establishing the habit of running on a regular schedule, on a regular routine is likely the most important thing. And then once you do have that habit established, then you can optimize, then you can get a little bit more fancy with your training, you can, you know, buy a high performance sports book and start incorporating some, some interesting workouts and concepts into your training. Um, But at first, it's just getting out the door. And, And I love that you said set your goals, almost too manageable, make them kind of easy so that it's not difficult to establish that consistency. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you've just encapsulated what I s- took five minutes to say in, in, you know, 30 seconds, but that's, that's, your, <laughs> that's, that's your skill as a podcast host. But, um, but no, you, you're absolutely right. And what you want to do with this is remove the decision point. So, you know, w- when you get in your car, there's no decision to put your, um, your seatbelt on because you just do it. When you go to bed at night, there's no decision to, to, oh, do I, do I brush my teeth tonight or do I not? You know, oh, how do they feel? They're a bit furry. Oh, but I washed them, I brushed them last night. But although so it's just not a decision. Um, when you go, when you say, I want to run two days a week, there's still a decision is, well, there's still another six days of this week. So, Maybe I could do it tomorrow. So I, I never get people to do, you know, three days a week. I get them to do it. I run every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, or whatever it is, you know. So they know that today is Monday, right, no decision to be made. I'm out for a run. But then you want to almost get to the point where someone goes, uh, so that they're not thinking, oh, this is just too big. I've got too many things on. Let's get it manageable. So if that is running one kilometre, like everyone should have time to do that, let's just go out and do it, you know, And because once you've run one kilometre, maybe you haven't got a, a huge sweat, so maybe you don't have to have a shower straight away, maybe you can just jump into the next meeting, whatever it is, it's manageable. Then you've got your identity, then you can start to optimise, as you say. Um, but that, yeah, the, it's the most important performance-enhancing tool that we have. 
Yeah, this really resonates with me because I've I've read some books on, you know, the science of how to change your habits. And it's exactly that. Just try to make it super easy for a month or so. And once you've done that, it's sort of hardwired into your brain and it removes a lot of that decision making. And, and I love how you compared it to brushing your teeth. You know, I, I kind of use the same thing with flossing. And I now floss my teeth every day the way that I should. And my dentist pats me on the back every time I go. But it was hard to start at first. But if you can get through a month or so, you're probably all set. So did you did you optimize that process? Did you put the floss next to your toothbrush? Did you did you do things to reduce friction? Because that's that's a really important part as well. Yeah. So uh, even though this isn't a dental hygiene podcast, let's do it. Uh, (laughs) I, I did something that removed the friction for me. The friction for me was literally using the floss. I did not like the long string of floss. And so instead I bought the floss picks. Each one you can hold in your hand. It's an individual pick. And for me, that made it 10 times easier to floss and for me, that was all I needed. And, and I could get through that. And now I'm very consistent with flossing. Yeah. But it was the floss pick. So uh, let's let's put that into a running analogy. Um, get get some good shoes that you actually feel a little bit of joy when you put them on. So that's that's a really important bit. And then don't pack them away where it's out of sight. So what we're, what we're trying to do is reduce as much friction as possible. So you just put them by the door or, you know, it's the first thing you do. So there is, there's, there's on ramps here. If you want to develop the running habit, there are on ramps, you know, getting a program, investing some money into a program is actually really good. It's a really important device because that reduces. Um, so to be internally consistent, you need to follow through with that. And it's much harder to not be internally consistent. So there are all sorts of ways that you can do this. Um, but the most important thing is they all the things should be engineered to increase consistency of running and decrease the ability for you to have a decision about whether you run or not. You know, do I go for a run today or not? Yeah, I think that's super important for consistency. And man, if more runners could be consistent, I think would really elevate their performances and take away all those big swings in in workload and training volume and intensity that I think do lead to injuries when you take a week off and then you jump back into training and, and your training is inconsistent like that. Yeah, so inconsistency works both ways, doesn't it? Like it is doing too much too soon or doing not enough. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely right. David, I want to follow up on a quick phrase you used about 10 minutes ago that I sort of intuitively understand, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about it. We were talking about easy recovery runs and you said, you know, the day after a hard workout, it it doesn't allow the, the rust to settle. The rust doesn't settle. Can you talk more about what you meant by that? Well, I guess anyone who has been for a, a hard run, whether that's long or or really intense, will know the the familiar feeling of of muscle soreness, the you know, delayed on delayed onset muscle soreness, and the like that you get from that. And we also know that mo- it's a it's a bit of a, a cliche now, but motion is lotion. So we get our synovial joints, our you know, big hip joints, knee joints, ankle joints, those sorts of things are all lubricated. So um, 
not allowing the rust to settle is something where, you know, just by getting out and, and refreshing that movement program and refreshing. So that's, that's your head. So we've all got a, a thing called a somatosensory homunculus in our head, which is our brain, uh, our, our body, our virtual body in our brain. So we're starting to exercise that. But also our our physical body, where we're getting nutrients to the joints, we're increasing our blood flow, all those sorts of things, which are important for removal of metabolites, for um, joint nutrition, and for just getting some length back into the muscles and our our the all the various uh, joints in our back moving again. Um, it's actually really really important, and it's um, so but. If you're starting out and you've just done a big training session, you don't want to overcook yourself as well. So, you know, get, getting, getting into the pool can be effective. Um, you know, getting onto the bike is not quite as effective, but it's better than nothing because it is movement. And the reason I say it's not quite as effective is just because you, you're, you're seated. Like you do want to get, um, your full range of motion going through the, the joints that you can. So, um, that's why swimming is such a great recovery tool. And, you know, so many of the world's great, uh, runners will get into the pool. Even if they don't, even if they don't love swimming, they know that their body feels better afterwards. So having that, I guess, funnily enough, we're saying get in the water and not allowing the rust to settle because it should be, <laughs> that, that shouldn't work together. But, um, I guess what, uh, motion is lotion is what I keep saying to people get moving and and your body just feels so much better afterwards I think every runner has the experience where they come home from a long run or a hard workout and then they just sit down for about an hour or so and then getting up from that seat after that long hard effort the rust has settled and you just feel like your legs can't move. You don't have the mobility or range of motion that you once did. And the extra motion is really the only thing that kind of gets you out of that little funk. And so I I love how you explain that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I guess the, one of the important things with this is you don't necessarily have to be watching the clock. In fact, I don't, and I advise people don't, you know, run with their, their stopwatch or, or whatever. Um, because this is not a training run, like this is a recovery run. So you should be able to talk and and those sorts of things. So you're not trying to optimize the output on this one. So just getting moving and particularly important if you're, if you're fairly new to it as well, you don't want to overcook your, your tendons and stuff. So, so deliberately going slow and slow and low is, is the way to go here. David, I'd love to end our discussion with your thoughts on a a specific passage that I read in chapter four of your book. I thought it was just fantastic. It says, quote, developing muscle strength throughout the range of motion increases the available movement solutions to solve movement challenges that arise in the competitive exercise or skill. I love this sentence. Can you talk more about the ideas of movement solutions and movement challenges as they relate to runners? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a terrific, um, terrific sentence that that comes from Matt Jordan's um, uh, chapter, which is, which is magnificent. So what the way I think about it, Jays, is that what we are trying to do, our, our, we have a goal, our brain sets us a goal of 
running over this field or through this gate or or ducking under this this hurdle or whatever it is and our body has got a number of different ways of achieving that our brain will try to use the most efficient way of doing it so if you think about the way we try and get under a low hurdle if you don't have the available range of motion of your hips um, and your knees, you'll try and bend your back to get under it and you'll really duck your head and that's the best way your brain has got to to deal with this challenge because of the limitations along the entire kinetic chain. What Matt is getting at here is building strength and building um, mobility and that's, you know, they, they go hand in hand here. So building the ability of the brain or the ability of the body to carry out the tasks that the brain wants it to do in the most efficient way. So rather than, you know, ducking the head to get under that, um, that barrier and, and, and curling your shoulders forward, it would be much more efficient to be able to just triple flex hip, knee, ankle, and then keep your field of vision forward so you can see the oncoming traffic or whatever it is, you know. We will have to compromise according to our weakest link. And that's the key here. We compromise on the basis of our weakest link. Frequently, our weakest link is going to be mobility of our joints or our muscle strength to be able to control the mobility through the joints. Our brain is remarkable. It won't allow us to extend our elbow unless we've got the strength of our biceps um, to control that. So, you know, having that mobility and having that strength through the range of that is it allows our brain a, a myriad of different options to solve movement challenges. And 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 I guess that's that's what he's he's aiming at there. So it's the reason why I love people not just doing their sport. So people that have followed my career over the journey will know that I get professional footballers hula hooping because they're having to learn a different um, different strategy. It's the basis behind why people will do Turkish get-ups. Um, you know, I love people cross-training because they're having to use different muscles in different ways and find different movement solutions that then everything is being lubricated but it's also our brain is being refreshed and going okay now I've got this available range of motion I've got this available technique I've got this available muscle strength through range to be able to solve a novel problem should it arise it's the most important thing that we can do yeah it almost seems like extra strength and mobility increases your almost like a menu of potential movements and available ways of moving so that if you do find yourself in a, in a tricky situation on the trails or if you fall down or maybe if you accidentally run you know four or five kilometers longer than you were supposed to on your long run because you got injured, you just have more insurance against getting hurt or or some other negative outcome because you've built up your skills in more of a wide variety of areas. Is that right? Yeah, the, you've done it again. Like you've just paraphrased and made cut cut through my waffle and 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 um, <laughs> you've really you've really cut to the chase. I, I love your term insurance. There, I think that's exactly what it is. So, Matt, 
Matt Jordan, who wrote that chapter, is the um, the lead sport and strength scientist at the Canadian Sports Institute and deals a lot with alpine downhill skiing. Um, and so he talks really beautifully about the, the need for athletes to be able to get out of a really deep squat. Now, when you're a skier, you won't necessarily optimally and preferably go into that range of motion. But if you do, you better be able to get out of there. And that's why it, that's that's that movement solution. Like if you if you hit a little mogul and you and you fall over and you you, you get really deep, you've got to be able to be able to solve that problem. And exactly what you said, it's insurance. So it's being able to solve problems when they arise, knowing that not everything we do is upright and putting one foot in front of the other in a nice rhythmical, um, volitional fashion like we try to do in running. You know, we we do. From time to time, get uh, uh, encountered with movement challenges. Having this insurance, having this menu, having these raft of options that we that our brain can employ to get us out of that—that's what we're talking about in terms of movement solutions. Now, using that skiing example, would it also stand to reason that if you are training that very deep squat, even if you're never going to use it as a skier, just in case you do find yourself in that situation? Would it also stand to reason that that's also going to make your quarter squat or half squat a bit stronger and just more competent because you, you now you can do a, a fully deep squat? So, of course, you know, a half squat is just that much easier for you. Yeah, you'd like to think that was the way that it would work. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't. We get strong in the ranges that we train. So, I guess by doing a deep squat, you are necessarily going through a bit of a quarter squat. You are going through a, a half squat. Um, but if you only work at the deepest range, it doesn't improve you at the top range, but it is just another stimulus. So I guess the the thing is a quarter squat won't improve a half squat, but a half squat will improve a quarter squat by a little bit as well because you have to go through that range. So, um, But our, our body is remarkably range-specific. So... The, the deepest part of the squat doesn't improve the top part of the squat, but it, what it does do is build the overall engine knowing that you have to go through that first quarter of a squat to get to the deep squat anyway. Got it. I think that's a good testament to the value of variety in 100%, many of your 100%. exercises. Absolutely right. Well, David, this was a tour de force of knowledge, but of course, it's going to be impossible for us to discuss every aspect of reducing our injury risk for runners. So is there an important idea or strategy or tip that you might have that would help our listeners that we maybe didn't get to talk about today? Well, we talked about a lot, didn't we, Jay? So um, consistency and movement solutions, I, I think they're the, they're the big rocks. Um, I've, I really love the concept of um, planning in the days when you run fast to really pin your ears back and to reward yourself because it's hard like you know you want to you want to make sure that you reward yourself with that but also running slow and, and recovering so there, there's nothing other than the things that we've we've talked about and that's your skill as a podcast to be able to uh, elicit those sorts of things i guess the the big thing that i love with with this sort of thing is creativity and as runners we tend to under index on creativity because, you know, we run around a track or we run around the streets or, or whatever. I think that's the real value of doing some 
uh, trail running is because it allows us to be a bit more creative and 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 change things. We know that um, we get an increase in our feel good chemicals um, when we run different streets or even if we run the same street but in a different loop or run you know whatever it is so variety is the most important thing and i think it's probably the most important thing in terms of a number of of areas not least of all is making sure that we still have the the willingness to run like let's not get bored it's an amazing thing let's not get bored as soon as we get bored we get off the consistency bandwagon and that's when we stop so be creative, keep moving, um, look for different running routes, look for different running partners and just change up your training as often as as you need to, to keep yourself interested. I love it. David, thank you so much for being here and your expertise. The book is High Performance Training for Sports. I hope our listeners check it out. It's just such a compendium of high performance ideas and sort of best practices in many different domains for athletes and and runners too. So David, I really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks for having me back, Jess. And that's my conversation with the incredible David Joyce. Don't miss the second edition of his comprehensive book, High Performance Training for Sports. And you can hear more from David in episode 140 of the podcast, where we discuss injury rehabilitation. A big thank you to Inside Tracker for making this episode possible. They want to help you do what you love for life. They want you to be a successful, healthy runner for decades. Inside Tracker is the industry's leading personalized blood testing company that helps you analyze your body's data and get a firm idea of how well you're responding to training. Understanding your body's biomarkers from stress hormones like cortisol to testosterone to vitamin D to growth hormone can help you determine if any of your critical biomarkers aren't where they need to be. But the best part is that after they give you these personalized optimal ranges for each of these biomarkers, they then give you a variety of ways to improve these markers through diet, lifestyle, or exercise changes. I've personally gotten three ultimate tests from them, and the process is simple, it's easy, and it's very eye-opening. And for a limited time, you can get 25% off any test at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. This represents a big chunk of savings, so stack the odds in your favor and give yourself every advantage with a personalized blood test. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning to save 25% today. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. I personally struggle with eating all the healthy food I know I should be eating, so I'm finding their product AG1 really helpful, especially when I'm training. One scoop per day gives me 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a green superfood blend, probiotics, the prebiotics that help those probiotics, adaptogens, and a lot more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly. And it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And now that all three of my kids are in school, I know I've got to support my immune system or else I'm definitely getting sick. And then I can't run. But what I do love about AG1 is that the formula changes. Over the last decade, they've made 53 improvements to the formula based on the latest research. It makes those nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with third-party testing. 
you can go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason and see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment or for a monthly drop if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. All right, that's our show today, my friends. Thank you for being here. And if there's anything I can ever do for you, don't hesitate to reach out. Email me at support at strengthrunning.com and I'm happy to help. <laughs>